If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of the Psalms. Today we'll be looking at Psalm 146. I trust as we've gone through these Psalms over these past few years, that you've been blessed to both see and hear over and over again how that the Bible, the Word of God, is a hymn book. It's a hymn book. Now, I might need to spell that because some of you might be thinking of a four-letter word, H-Y-M-N. I'm not, I'm not saying that. It's a H-I-M book. It's a hymn book. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is all about Him, our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. And somebody might ask me, how do you know that? How do you know that? Well, beloved, just like you, I have ears to hear him. He said, these are they. He's speaking about the scriptures now, all of God's word. These are they which testify of me. And by God's grace, I, I believe him. And I see that in the word of God. And we've been looking at these Psalms over these past years, and we've seen that over and over again. I we see Christ in every blessed verse. Now, I haven't seen him in all the verses just yet. <laughs> But I know from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read here in Psalm 146, verse 5, Happy, happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, for, 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 for his salvation, for, for everything he needs to be accepted before the thrice holy God, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And we hear our Lord, our God, declaring to his people, the, the Jacobs in this world. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13, I, the Lord, thy God, will hold thy right hand. And I say unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm Jacob. Fear thou not, thy, thou, thou maggot worm Jacob. And ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now, some of you will remember how that when the Lord met Jacob, he changed his name to Israel. And the Lord asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name's Jacob. And God said, yeah, I know what your name is. I know who you are. But now I'm going to make you Israel, a prince with God. You see, the God of Jacob singled him out and blessed him abundantly. And not because Jacob was worthy, not, not because he merited that, but rather just the opposite, because the God of Jacob is gracious and long-suffering to his people. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Malachi 3.6 And Jacob said, Lord, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercy, thy mercies, and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto me, thy servant. And we can say that in our heart just the same, can we not? Lord, we're not worthy of the least of your mercies unto us. And the Lord does show mercy unto his people because he delights to do so. He delights to show mercy to sinners. And this psalm begins with praise unto the Lord. And it ends just the same. Praise unto the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And that's, uh, that's the same thing as saying hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, sadly, the expression praise the Lord has been so abused and casually used by this religious world 
so much so that it's been reduced to a trite, meaningless slogan uh, by the many religious people of this world, those who are still ignorant and in darkness. Uh, But, beloved, we ought to take great care in using the name of the Lord, lest we become guilty of taking his name in vain. You know, the, the Scriptures teach us in Psalm 111, holy and reverend is his name. My friend, don't ever call someone who says he's a preacher reverend. Don't don't ever do that. Don't ever call a man reverend. And certainly, don't address me that way. That's for sure. Why is that? Well, because, beloved, I'm just a sinner saved by God's grace, just like you. Holy and reverend is his name. And we call his name Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We call him, we call him Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Now let's look at verse one. Psalm 146, verse one. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Now notice it reads, praise ye the Lord. That's capital L-O-R-D. Praise ye the Lord Jehovah, O my soul. Not with lip service but in sincerity of heart. And this is every believer's desire, is it not? To honor, to exalt, and to worship the Lord. And not merely with our words, not merely with our lips, but with sincerity and gratitude, with love and thanksgiving unto the Lord. Remember our Lord said to those Pharisees, You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And in vain you do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You see, beloved, the Lord seeketh such as worship him in spirit and in truth. I want to worship the Lord and to do so in spirit and in truth. In the truth of his word, in the truth of who he is, in the truth of what he's done, and in the truth of who we are. And you know, beloved, we can worship the Lord and praise him and not have a word sound forth from our lips. That's right. We can praise, honor, and worship the Lord and not say one single word outwardly or audibly. Remember Hannah? She prayed that way. Eli watched her, and she was moving her mouth, and yet she didn't make a sound. And Eli the priest accused her of being drunk. She said, no, I'm not drunk. I'm simply praising the Lord. I'm laying out my burden to the Lord my God. You see, my friend, God looks on the heart. Remember what God told Samuel when he went down to the house of Jesse? And Samuel looked at all of his strong, at least outwardly very impressive sons, and God rejected them. And finally, Samuel said to Jesse, Do you have any other sons? Because God has rejected all of these ones. And Jesse said, Yeah, but I'm embarrassed to tell you about him. He's just, just a little guy. He's up there in the field keeping the sheep. And Samuel said, you go get him. Go fetch him and bring him here. And he did. And the Lord God spoke to Samuel and said, that's my anointed. You see, God looked on the heart of all those other boys and passed them by. And God looked on the heart of David and said, this particular one is after mine own heart. And of course, you know the rest of the story. How that David was anointed and blessed as the king of Israel. And he writes these words in our portion in Psalm 146, verse 2. 
while I live, while I have life, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. And just like David, every believer is highly motivated to worship the Lord. And we have good reason to do so, do we not? Because we have life. We've been given that God-given faith that we might believe. And he's not only given us physical life, beloved, but more importantly, he's given us spiritual life. And in him we live, we move, and we have our being. This morning we're looking at Psalm 146. I love that uh, that verse in, in James, don't you? It says there, Of his own will, of God's own will, begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so while I live, while I have any being, while I'm here among men, I'm going to give him all the honor and glory. I'm going to worship him. And in verse 3, he tells us, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man. Don't put your trust in those men born of the seed of men, in whom there is no help. And the Lord, you know, the Lord tells us that over and over again, does he not? He tells us over and over again, trust the Lord. Put your trust in him. Put not your trust in princes or kings or in any of the princes of, or kings of the earth, nor in any son of Adam in whom there is no salvation. Now, wouldn't it be a foolish thing? Hear me. Wouldn't it be a foolish thing to trust in the very thing where God himself says there's no salvation? To trust in a person other than Christ? Don't trust in Muhammad. Don't trust in Joseph Smith. Don't trust in Ellen White. Don't trust in the Pope. Don't trust in the President. Don't trust in the Queen of England. How come? For there's no help from them. Not any spiritual help. There's no salvation in them. For salvation is not found in any earthly men or women. Nor is salvation found in places or churches. Rather, salvation is found only in God's Son. Christ Jesus the Lord. And beloved, we can be assured of this blessed fact. Most assuredly, there is salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ for sinners. Uh, how do I know that? The Apostle Paul was writing to young Timothy, and many of you are familiar with this portion, <laughs> but it doesn't bother me to, de to, to declare it again to God's people. Paul writes to young Timothy, a true and faithful saying worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if God has taught you that that's what you are, you can know this most assuredly. He came into the world to save you. And he shall not fail to save his people. Not a one of them. Salvation's not in a place. It's not in a theological position whereby you can look down your nose at somebody else because you know something better than they do. No, salvation's found in a person. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. I like that portion uh, in Luke chapter 2. Remember that portion where we read about Simeon picking him up who was born king? Remember when Simeon picked up that 40-day-old baby when they brought him to do according to the custom of the law and he took the baby Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. You see, believers desire to worship the Lord. Uh, 
And by his grace, they put their confidence and their trust in him and him alone. And beloved, remember, our God-given faith is put in his faith. Remember what the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2. Now, sometimes people ask me, why, why do we use the King James uh, here? Why, why that translation? Well, um, with uh, some exceptions, it's the only translation that, that sets forth this verse correctly. And, oh boy, is it mightily important. You look at any other English translation and they twist the scripture into a work. And they, they set forth a verse that will never have you beholding the object of saving faith. Notice what it says here. This is God's word, the apostle Paul, God's servant, writing there, being moved by the Holy Spirit. And he writes these words. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. His faithfulness as a man, a real life flesh and blood man, is all our righteousness established on the earth. <laughs> By the, We could render that and not do any damage to the portion and say, uh, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I don't have this reference in my, in my notes, but um, let's turn to it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. We were talking about this this morning in, in the, the Sunday class. And if the Lord puts it on your heart, I pray you would come to the Sunday class. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of a discouragement to see, to, to see that not everyone comes for that class. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ said, uh, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And uh, I don't have, uh, if God's pleased, I would like to just have... Uh, one meal for everyone, <laughs> not one portion for another group and another portion from another group. The only thing I can conclude is that there's a lot of sick sheep in this church that not everyone's coming to the services. If you can be here Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, if you can be here Wednesday, um, I, I pray the Lord would have mercy on all of us to be here. You know, we don't we don't have to be here, beloved. We get to be here. Ephesians chapter two. Verse 8, it says there, so wonderful. <laughs> I was just reflecting on how many years had I read this verse and not understood a word of it. <laughs> I could probably even have quoted it to you, and I didn't know it. Listen to the, the blessed gospel contained in this portion. By grace are you saved. It does not say by repentance. It does not say by turning over a new leaf. It does not say by raising your hand at a meeting. It does not say by making a decision. It does not say by coming forth in a meeting. It says, by grace are you saved. Through faith and that not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And then in, in Titus chapter 3, what a, what a wonderful portion that is. Titus chapter 3 and uh, this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to, to Titus. Titus 
he writes to him there, and he says in verse 1, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. Beloved Titus, I'm writing this letter to you to tell you to put God's people in remembrance, to to, to remind them, to, to be mindful that they should be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. That's really easy to do when you're in the dust. Really easy. When God puts you in the dust and he keeps you there. (laughs) That's the most blessed place. And look what it says there to remind God's people. Beloved, we were, we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. Every one of us in this auditorium, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But verse 4, look what it says there. But after that the, the, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. How wonderful is that? How wonderful is that? And so, beloved, we know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Let me sum that up for you. If that was a lot of words that just went over yours real quickly. <laughs> uh, salvation is not found in doing. Salvation is believing by God's grace. Believing. Salvation is not doing. Salvation is believing on God's Son. And beloved, we dare not trust the flesh We dare not trust in our faithfulness, but rather only and ever in God's Son's faithfulness. And that's what Abraham believed. Abraham believed God. And that faith that looks to God's faithfulness comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, beloved, our faith is in Christ. Faith is not in faith, but our faith is in Him who is faithful unto God on our behalf. And our Lord tells us, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He rejoiced to see my faithfulness, and he did. And was glad. So we put our trust in Him and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Beloved, we don't trust in any flesh, mine, yours, or anybody else to save the body and blood of God's well pleasing Son. And speaking of the flesh of Adam and all the flesh of those descended from him, born of the seed of man, God says to his prophet Jeremiah, Cursed. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Cursed is everyone that trusteth in the flesh. And here's why. Verse 4. The breath of man, his breath goeth forth. He returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. You see, here's why there's no salvation or help or hope in any son of man or any prince or any king of the earth. He's just like you, and he's just like me. Indeed, he he breathes. Now, here's a a question. Uh, Do you have any idea how many breaths you take in in a day? Do you? Uh, I don't. But I do know this. One day, you'll breathe your last. 
You see, the Lord gives the breath and the Lord takes the breath away. And when the Lord takes the breath away, notice what he says here. He returneth to his earth. And that's speaking to a plot of land. And at your last breath, your breath will go forth and thou shalt return to his earth. And when his breath goes forth from him, remember God gives the breath and God takes it away. And in that very day, a man's plans, ambitions, thoughts, and schemes, they'll perish with him. And so we see here how that there's no salvation in any earthly king. And so what do we do? By God's grace, we look under the Son of God, who became the Son of Man, that we might become the sons of God in our blessed Savior. Now notice the reason he gives us for not looking and trusting the flesh. Remember, flesh, all flesh is grass. We read in God's only holy book, the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 6, all flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is of the flower of the field. It just fades away, and man in his best state is altogether vanity. You see, my friend, to trust in vanity is, is as someone once said, complete and utter insanity. That's right. To trust in vanity is insanity. You see, beloved, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And a man's breath goes forth, and he's returned to his earth. And in that day, his life on this earth, his thoughts, his, amb his, his ambitions, his plans, they all perish. Verse 5. Happy, <laughs> happy, glad, blessed is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, for, for his salvation, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Happy is he that has the God of Jacob for, for his all and in all. Now look at, across the page there, just on the left side there, Psalm 144, verse 15. The last verse of Psalm 144, it says, Happy is that people, happy, Blessed, glad is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Beloved, our God uses this name more than any other name when describing himself. And the, the God of Jacob is used some 25 times in the word of God. And I said this before, I'll, I'll say it again. We read in Malachi 3, verse 6, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. My friend, the God of Jacob is the God of covenant mercies. And he said, I'll give you the sure mercies of David. The God of Jacob is the God of covenant love. And he loves his people with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness does he call us and draw us unto himself. The God of Jacob is the God of covenant revelation. And he's hid these things from the wise and prudent Yet he has revealed them unto babes. And our Lord Jesus Christ said, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. And the God of Jacob is the God of covenant salvation. The covenant God. 
How many times is that word covenant used in Scripture? Some 250 times. You see, God is the God of the covenant of grace, the covenant of salvation. I like what David said upon his deathbed. Remember his dying words? Do you remember them? Although my house be not so with God, yet God hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation. So this God of Jacob, this true and living God, beloved, he's all our hope. And remember, our Lord said, Therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Beloved, he's all our help in the past. He's all our help in the present. And he's all our help in the future. Indeed, he, he was our help even before we knew him. Because before we knew him, he knew us. And he was our help then. He's our help now. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's all our help. He's all our hope. He's all our hope forever and ever. And we have a good hope, do we not? Paul said it's a good hope through grace, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. And you and I who believe on him, we have a sure hope, beloved, whose hope is in the Lord his God. You see, my friend, Christ himself is our hope, for he's our life. And Christ is not only all our hope now, but ever so, ever so blessedly, beloved, he's all our hope forever and ever. Now, in verses 6 down through to the last verse of this psalm, we have God's fit description of the Lord, our God, the God of Jacob. And this fit description of God teaches us glorious things about our God, the God of Jacob. And it teaches us again that salvation is of the Lord. Notice at the end of verse 5, there's a, a colon. It says, the Lord his God, beloved the Lord our God, verse 6, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. Beloved, that's our God. He's the creator of all things. And he did so by the word of his power. He created the sea and all that there is, therein is. God spoke all things into existence. Remember God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning, God created all things. He's the Lord of our God and he created all things. Now, I'll just take a, a moment to just pause. I'd like to show you a portion of Scripture that perhaps some of you have never heard before. In the Gospel of John, the very beginning of the Gospel of John, it begins much the same way as the very first verses of the Bible. Uh, on purpose, the writer of the Gospel of John, John the Evangelist, the beloved of the Lord, uh, he is being moved by God the Holy Spirit, and he wants you to understand as a man, he's writing, you know, I'm talking about a man. But God will have all his people to understand this, that the Lord Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. If you want to know why you're breathing right now, if you'd like to know why your heart is beating in your chest, the reason is very simply this, the Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord and God. It says in the beginning of John's gospel, in the very first verse, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is all speaking about the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. If you, if you have some time, read the whole chapter. It's such a blessing. 
Read chapter 1, read chapter 2, read chapter 3. Beg the Father to bless your reading of his word with his spirit that he might reveal to you in truth the Lord Jesus Christ according to Scripture. It says here in verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. And I love this. This is one of my favorite verses to show um, a young person. And uh, young people can be as old as 99, I think, right? (laughs) It says here, speaking about Jesus Christ, God's Son, all things were made by Him. All things were made by the Lord Jesus Christ. And without Him was not anything made that was made. He is the Word made flesh. He is the promised Emmanuel. He is God with us. Now, in the beginning, God created all things. He's the Lord our God, and He created all things. And so now consider this. How does a dead sinner have new spiritual life? How is it that that new spiritual life is created? Well, he's our creator, is he not? And so you see, he's the one who gives us spiritual life. My friend, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, the true and living God, he made heaven and earth. And so too, he makes us fit for his presence. And he translates us out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And he makes us fit for his presence in that he gives us a new nature, just like unto himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we give thanks unto the Father who has made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in Christ, who delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us unto the kingdom of the dear Son, and whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, through him who is the image of the invisible God. Through him who is the image of the invisible God. The only God you will ever see with your eyes is God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, He's the firstborn of every creature. Romans eight twenty nine, Salvation is of the Lord. And here's another thing we read in our portion. He keepeth the truth forever. Psalm 146, verse 6. Indeed, everything He speaks is true. And you know, there's some things that God cannot do. He cannot change. He says, I'm the Lord, I changeth not. He cannot lie, can he? No, it's it's utterly impossible for God to lie. He keeps truth forever. Now, lies, if you know anything about lies, they always change. They always change. But the truth never changes. You see, what God spoke 6,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, is still true today. And he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word never will. You see, beloved, that he keeps truth and he speaks truth forever. So why is that so important? Well, our Lord said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And our Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by, in, and through me. Verse 7. The Lord our God, he is he which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry, The Lord looseth the prisoners. Now let's look at those three things. Verse 7, The Lord executes judgment and justice for the oppressed. Those who are His covenant people. The very people who are oppressed with their sin. What a thing to behold, beloved. He judged our sin in Himself because He bared our sins in His own 
body on the tree. Christ suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He executed judgment. He executed judgment. And that upon himself for our sins. When he by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. What a marvel of God's sovereign grace, which executed judgment for the oppressed. Beloved, he takes all of our sins, all of the sins of God's people, and takes them to himself and bears them in his own body on the cross. And he bears them away, and then he gives us his righteousness. And that's redemption. That's deliverance, freedom, and righteousness. You see, there's two things I must have, and they're both in Christ. You see, he's done both of these things for us, beloved. Pardon and perfection. Redeemed by the blood and made the very righteousness of God in him. And then it says he gives food to the hungry, and we do feed upon the Lord. The Lord giveth food to the hungry, and beloved, because the Lord is our good shepherd, we shall not want. And he leads us besides the still waters and green pastures of his word, and he feeds his sheep the, the water of life. He says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and drink milk without money and without price. He says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You see, he is the very milk and meat of the word. And believers desire the sincere sustenance of the word that we might grow thereby. And the Lord Jesus Christ is referred in, to in the book of Hebrews as the sum, substance, and subject of the word. And the Lord giveth food to his people. Remember, our Lord instructed us to feed his church with the gospel. Feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You see, beloved, we feed upon Christ, for he is the true man sent from heaven. And in the last part of verse 7, we read there, The Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord looseth the prisoners. Now, by nature, we're held captive by sin. We're held captive by the law of God because we've transgressed against God and we're guilty before him. Guilty on all counts. That's right. You and me both were guilty on all counts before God. And the law saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And my friend, by nature, we're in prison. And that with no way to get out left to ourselves. And we're sentenced to death, waiting on death row, guilty before God. So what does God do? Beloved, he takes our judgment and sets us free. And so now, by God's grace, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. What amazing grace. The Lord looseth the prisoners. You see, beloved, that's why he came. The Lord Jesus Christ came to set the captives free. We read in Luke chapter 4, and this is a quote from Isaiah 61, the Lord speaking here as Matthew records his words, or rather Luke records his words in Luke chapter 4. Our Lord and God Jesus Christ says these words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, 
to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then the Lord not only looseth the prisoner, not only does he set us free and give us liberty, but so too he opens our eyes. Verse 8. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. You see, we were blind and in prison, and we had no way to see the kingdom of God. And our Lord teaches us, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so it's the Lord that's opened our eyes. Indeed, he's enlightened our understanding that we might see him. The Lord has opened the eyes of the blind. Remember what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Has someone ever told you that you have to open up your heart? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever heard somebody say, open your heart? What a lie. What an impossible, utterly, utterly and completely impossible thing to do. I'm so thankful that he doesn't leave it to us to open our hearts. <laughs> Look what it says in Acts chapter 13. Maybe I'm wrong on that reference. Acts chapter... Let's see here. Uh, 14. There's this account in the book of Acts. And there was a seller of purple. This is Acts chapter 16, verse 14. And in that grace that goes before grace, this woman found herself listening to God's sent man, the Apostle Paul. And he was preaching by the banks of the river, Christ and him crucified. And it says of this woman, Lydia, in Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, evidently an entrepreneur, she's in business selling textile, purple textiles, says here, a seller of, a seller of purple of the city of uh, Theatira, which worshiped God, heard us. And notice what it says there, whose heart the Lord opened. <laughs> Are you able to give attendance to the message this morning? Are you able to hear the gospel of Christ and Him crucified? That everything you need to be saved has already been accomplished, the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I, I have many sins. I have so many sins. I can't even number them. And I'm guilty of every single one of them. And through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, all my sins have been washed thoroughly and completely, put away to be remembered no more. But there's something else I need more than pardon. I need a righteousness acceptable to God. 
And the Word of God tells us, as we're able to give attendance to the, to the Word of God, it says that our Heavenly Father made His well-pleasing, darling Son, He who knew no sin, to be made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. The Lord opens our heart. He opens our eyes, the eyes of the blind. We were blind in our own sin, ignorant, dumb, and dead in trespasses and sins, without God, without Christ, and without any hope. And then the Lord opened our eyes. He opened our heart so that now we may see that we're a sinner. Now we may see that God is holy. Now we see that Christ is all of our salvation. And in the glorious light of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am taught that all my righteousnesses are filthy rags. I am taught to hate my life. I don't want to be found in the record of my life. I want to be found in the, the righteous life of the Lord Jesus Christ and the doing and dying of God's well-pleasing Son. And here's the next thing he says. The Lord raises up those that are bowed down. You see, he's nigh them of a broken heart. Psalm 34, 18. And uh, we read last week, I trust we remember uh, when we were last in Psalm 145, verse 14, it says there, The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and he raiseth up all those that be bowed down. It's the Lord that raises up all those that are bowed down and brokenhearted over sin. And then it says in the last part of Psalm 146, verse 8, The Lord loveth the righteous. Now, now wait a minute, preacher. Um, I thought you, you say by nature, by birth, no one is righteous. Indeed, that's what God's word says, is it not? No one is righteous, no, not one. All of our righteousness before God are filthy rags. But yet it says here, the Lord loveth the righteous. Well, this is speaking about those who have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And beloved, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. How come? Because the Lord loveth the righteous. You see, God the Father loves those in his Son. God loves his people in Christ. And beloved, he loves us with an everlasting love in the Lord Jesus Christ because we are made righteous in him. Not through our doing, but through what he accomplished for us on the earth. You see, he is our righteousness and the Lord loveth the Son. The, the Father loveth the Son, does he not? The Lord loveth the Son and he's given all things into his hands and the Lord loves all those found in Christ. Indeed, the Lord loveth his covenant people. Verse 9. The Lord preserveth the strangers. And that's us by nature. That's, that's every one of us by nature. We were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But the Lord preserveth those strangers that are his people. You see, we're strangers and pilgrims like Abraham. We're just passing through looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And we are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Those who the Lord is pleased to save, they're saved with an everlasting salvation. The Lord preserveth, we're kept by the power of God. And the Lord preserveth his people. And, and it says here, and relieveth the fatherless and widow. Beloved, the Lord is our relief. 
and he's able to meet all our need according to his riches and glory. And to the believer who is a widow, Christ is our husband, and he's the husband of those who believe. And to the orphan, Christ is our father. You see, we're sons of God adopted into his family and want for nothing. For we have everything in him, beloved. We lack nothing. We have everything in him. All spiritual blessings are in him, and the Lord loveth the righteous. And it's the Lord that relieveth the fatherless and the widow. You see, beloved, all our preservation, all our relief, all of our salvation is of the Lord and in the Lord. But the way of the wicked, he turneth upside down. My friend, there's nothing more wicked before God than to seek salvation by self-righteousness. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And the way of the wicked, he's going to turn upside down. Verse 10, The Lord shall reign forever, and thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Now, right now, praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord, because thy God reigneth. You know, while the word sovereignty is not in the Bible, nevertheless, the Lord does reigneth. That's where the word sovereignty comes from, reign. The Lord shall and does reign forever and ever. You see, his reign is total and complete. He is the sovereign king, and the word of God declares that he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And why is that? Because he is the Lord who reigns. Grace is always called grace. And while the unbeliever might say, well, that's not fair, that's not right for God to have mercy on whom he will. But you know what? The believer rejoices that the Lord his God is the king of all the earth. What's our message? Remember what we read in Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, verse 7. It says there, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, that saith unto the church of Christ. And what do they say? Thy God reigneth. How long has he been reigning as God? Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth and the seas and all deep places. In another place in the Psalms, it it declares, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. You see, he rules and reigns over all things. And in Revelation chapter 19, we read there in verse 4, And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. My friend, we don't let him reign. For the Lord God all-powerful reigneth. 
So why does our Lord and God have all power? Why does our Lord and God have all power? Well, he tells us in John chapter 17, and I'll conclude with this verse. John's Gospel, chapter 17. He tells us that he should give eternal life to as many, not one more and not one less, to as many as thou hast given him. Amen.